Hey, Rish from the future here. I have uh, embarked on my historic writing every day. Um, fruitless task, essentially. But I'm nearing the end of the first story, one of my goals for this month of writing every day. I'm nearing the end. I mean, if I were ambitious, I could run to the library right now, finish that story, and then tomorrow I could be starting something new. But in the last episode, I ran True Ghost Encounter. I don't know if you guys liked it or not, because I just posted the episode. But I was thinking that maybe I should set a goal for myself to write a story set in that bed and breakfast every year. And that in 2019, I could write another one. I just thought it might be kind of fun to put that out there with you guys. Like, what, uh, what kind of... Well, now I feel weird about it. Because, listen... If I finish my first story today, and tomorrow I decided to start on a new Dead and Breakfast story, your input wouldn't matter, because I'd already started. I had already chosen what I was going to do. In my head, this made so much sense. It's like, hey, give me some suggestions of what kinds of stories could be told at a haunted bed and breakfast that is guaranteed to be haunted one day of every year. And I, I thought somebody would be like, oh, okay, well, somebody's best friend got killed when they were teenagers and nobody ever found out who did it. And it's like, you know, it's a mystery and we're going to have the ghost of the dead friend show up and say who did it, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, well, I want to hear about Jimi Hendrix. Oh, that, you know, that Jimi Hendrix thing was so amusing to me. I was driving home from my buddy Jeff's house on the uh, descending slope of eternal death and I actually pulled over the car not because animals were in the road for once or because ice made me pull it over, but because I was like, oh, I got to jot this down. There's a guy who really longs to meet Jimi Hendrix. And so he comes all this way and the ghost that shows up is his own grandfather. And he's furious about that. Whereas anybody else would just be thrilled. He's like, oh, I got to see my grandpa again. So I jotted that down and I was like, oh, this is a real peach of an idea. Sorry, so, so those are the only two that came to mind. But yes, the idea of a really scary one, that was the next one I was going to write, is one of the characters from True Ghost Encounter, we were going to follow their visit, their visitation of a ghost that night, and it was going to be a malevolent spirit. And I never wrote it, because it was intended to be like the bookend. I write the first story, then we get a whole bunch of stories from other people, and then I write the last story in that anthology, and that's what it was going to be. The deceased uncle of the main character shows up at the beginning, and the murder victim of the character, the vengeful, ghostly murder victim of the main character shows up at the end. Anyhow, this has nothing to do with anything, but feel free to let me know. If you have some ideas, or if you want to write a a, a dead and breakfast anthology story. That's it. Enjoy today's episode. If you can. Say, kids, who loves chalupas? Everybody! <laughs>
And who loves the Rish Outcast? Class. Who loves the Rish Outcast? Okay, okay, kids, calm down. Oh, jeez. Kids. Whew. Quite a way to start out a new episode of The Outcast, but uh, it's not going to get me down. I'm in a good mood. I just came back from my yearly writers conference. You know, a three-day get-together with people who write or do art for, or I, I suppose are just fans of uh, speculative fiction. You know, whether that's sci-fi or fantasy or horror or anime or paranormal romance, you know, etc., etc. Anything that's not literary fiction, I guess, because there are romance panels that don't have anything to do with, you know, monsters or aliens or Dolores Umbridge, you know, these kind of things. Anyhow, it was 2016, and I ran into somebody that I went to college with, and she asked me if I was going to go to this conference, and I hadn't gone since college. I think the very first time that I went was <laughs> 22 years ago. Now, that could be wrong, but I definitely did go 22 years ago. I don't know if that was the first time I went. But, you know, a lot of time had passed, and, and I I'd figured, well, it's not for me. I, I was aware that it still existed, but when I went, it was mostly an excuse to go with my friend Jeff. And some of the panels were super lame. They were panels, and I've talked to you before about this kind of panel. They were panels that made you think, instead of listening to them talk about writing or story structure or, you know, publishing or whatever it is, I should go somewhere and write right now. I, I really should be doing that instead of wasting my time in this panel. And, and I sort of had that in the back of my mind, and so I hadn't gone back. But I ran into this woman, and she said, well, you really ought to go. And I looked at the schedule, and either I was working one of the three days or I was working two of the three days, but um, I got off early one of those days. And so I was just like, you know what? What the heck? I'm going to go. And I got so much out of it. It was 2016, as I said, and I remember coming home and just feeling like I can write a novel. I can write every single day. I can be a writer. I, I can be a Jedi. Ben, tell him I'm ready. I never get tired of, of saying that. And ready, are you? I, I, what knows you right, ready? Right, right. Just let me talk. For 800 years have I trained Jedi. Okay. My own counsel okay. will I keep. Master, who is to be trained? Ma ma can I continue? So, uh, I got so much out of it that year that the next year, I think I lost my job just so that I could go to it. No, the next year I went to all three days and I remember that maybe the next year was the year where it's like, you can write a novel in 90 days. And I was like, gosh darn it to heck, I'm going to do that. I've gone every single day since then. And last year, 2018, was the first year that I didn't get a lot out of it. It was the first year, well, I guess since when I was a kid, where I was just like, oh, shoot, I've heard all this stuff before. They're just not saying anything that's setting my imagination on fire. Dang it. And when this year's came along, I thought, huh, do I want to 
yeah, I guess I'll go, but what if it's like last year? Last year, that was really depressing. If you recall, I didn't want to write anything. I wondered if I was cut out to be a writer. I, and, and yeah, that's always a sensation that I get when I go to these conferences is maybe I don't have what it takes to be a writer because you'll hear these people and they have amazing stories of their own resilience or their own dedication to the craft or their own want, drive, eye of the tiger to get where they wanted to be. And, you know, with few exceptions, they're not quite there yet, but they're a hell of a lot farther along than I am. And that can either encourage me or it can sort of break my will. And I'll give you an example from this weekend later in the show. But let me just say that this year was not like last year. This was a wholly, with a W, positive experience. Now, if you're not a writer and don't want to be a writer, maybe this episode will be boring to you, and maybe you've already hit skip. If so, well, I, you know, I got two words for you, and, and it sort of rhymes with part of Timbuktu. Um, in case you're about to skip, I, I am excited about this, and hopefully that will make for an entertaining episode. But also, last week, I recorded, or I asked Sir Fake Sean Connery to record a song for me that was had a unique effect on me. And so if you're willing to stay through the whole episode, you can hear that. I am aware that you can skip <laughs> to the end, and that's fine too. It's not like, you know, I, I get paid for ad space or anything in this. But I'm just letting you know in case you think this episode's not for you. Maybe it's not, but that song, ooh, I want to skip. I do. I, I want to skip to that because that was fun. That was neat. But this weekend was fun too. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to go. I'm not in the car where I usually am for a Rich Outcast, but I'm not going to call this a podcast that dares not speak its name because I've locked the door. So fake Sean cannot come in and make fun of me and say, you know, and where were you when they talked about sharing your work for critique and that you cannot progress unless you have editorial insight? I, well, I, and where were you when they said writers' groups are the most important way to get better as a writer? Did they really say that? And where were you when they said it's not really writing if you don't put it out there, if you only write for yourself? then why are you even in this bloody panel? But yeah, they did say that, but I... And where were you when the Westfold fell? Where were you when our enemies closed in around us? Where were you... What are you... Is that a movie quote or something? I, I don't know. I passed on that role. No, my Lord Fake Sean, I am alone. He's not in, in this episode until the very end. I'm wherever I bloody want to... No. No. Okay, so perhaps if you're still listening, you have creative aspirations. You would like to do something, whether it's in music or painting or acting or writing or... Adult film. Which I guess is acting. And I got to tell you, and I've said this before, but I will say it again as long as I keep going to these things, and I'm definitely going next year, surrounding yourself 
with other people that care about what you care about, that want what you want, is exhilarating. Being in a room with other people that feel the same thing, I think that might be why people go to church. I think that might be why people go to communes. I think that might be why people join twisted fundamentalist cults and drink the Kool-Aid. It was really cool to look around, and, and, and yes, I'm getting older, I recognize. So I'd look around and I saw a bunch of people, mostly young people, who were just passionate about writing or art or publishing or editing or, you know, fill in the blank. And yeah, I, I mentioned that I was old. I noticed so many people with weird hair color this year that I had never noticed before. I mean, the people with blue hair, people with pink hair. There was a, a, a man with a, like a long beard and he had dyed his beard purple. And there were people with gray hair for some reason. I, 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 why? why? Why do that to yourself? Why make yourself look like you're going to look anyway and you long for the days when you didn't have gray hair? I'm sorry, I digress. There, was, there were so many young people, like young people, and I, I discovered when I ordered my tickets, which, which wasn't long ago, I kind of waited till the very last minute, partly because last year was not a, such a good experience. And I guess I had that fear that, what if I feel nothing? You know what I mean? <laughs> Scary. I, I noticed that student tickets are so, so cheap, like laughably cheap, like secondhand clothes at a yard sale, cheap. Whereas the rest of the tickets were, were not expensive, but they were, you know, not... You would never say, holy smoke, this costs nothing. I can just blink. I made it up in an hour of overtime or whatever. But when you ordered tickets, there was also an option to make a donation so that a student could get in for free or make a donation so that students' rates would continue to be low. And I think that's part of why it had so many young people at it. It's, it's so cheap for young people. And I, I think I remember being in college and being told, go to this conference. You know, it happens this weekend or whatever, and I'll give you extra credit if you'll go to it, that kind of thing. And so there's another reason why young people would be there. You know, if you were in an English class and your teacher said, you can do a, a book report or you can go to this convention, you know, conference. I call it a conference because to me a convention is a place where a bunch of people get together and they wear costumes and, you know, they celebrate fandom. And I love those. I'm not disparaging those at all. But this is an academic conference. And as I've said before, they have panels and presentations that are not so academic. That are just, hey, I like The Legend of Korra. I like... Gravity Falls. I like Hell Knight with Linda Blair. We're going to have a presentation about that. And in the past, I've, I've vacillated between going to those kind of panels that reach will entertain me and going to the ones where it's just like, okay, how do you improve this aspect? Um, and last year, I remember, I didn't go to a single entertainment panel. I went only to academic stuff because I, I needed it. I was in a, a creative funk And I hoped that if I went to everything, I would find the words that I needed to get up off my creative arse and work. And you know what? Eventually, I did break through 
that funk. Last year I did end up writing uh, at least a novella, maybe two novellas, a handful of short stories, you know, sketches for the Dunstief, all, all, all sorts of stuff. I don't feel like I slacked off in 2018, but I did have like the first two months, first three months where I did almost nothing. 2019 has already been better than 2018, but I had been talking to Big Anklevich the other day, and he said, well, maybe we should challenge each other to do the writing every single day, and I was just like, look, I have an audiobook obligation that I have to do. I've got three podcasts with other people now, and then I have my own podcast, and I just, I can't commit to writing every single day. I won't commit to you. I don't know if that hurt Big's feelings. If so, I, I ought to apologize to him because he's trying to help me and help me help him. But now, after going to this thing, I am raring to go. I, I would be happy to write every single day, and we're going to see if I write today when I'm done with this. I wished that the library had been open when the last panel got out, because I would have gone straight there and started writing, because I had three different ideas for stories that I had not had before. And that is weird. Because I, I also had some ideas for, you know, there's a Ben Parks story that I started last year and I never finished. I didn't even get close. I basically wrote it up to the point where he meets the antagonist of the story and then stopped. But I was thinking, boy, I, you know, I had to go start writing on that or working on it or coming up with where it's going to go, things like that. And, but I came up with this stupid idea of Elizabeth Bennett meeting and falling in love with Dr. Jekyll and calling it Hyde and Prejudice. And then two other ideas that weren't jokes. And a, a scene that I could add to 10,000 Coffins before I publish it that might make it more emotionally resonant. And yeah, that's, that's what I would have written if I'd gone to the library today. But, you know, like I said, it closes early. I don't know why it closes early on Saturday, the one day when most people could go to the library. I... I there's no answer as to why they would do that. I know a lot of places close early on Saturday, but it just it doesn't make any bloody sense to me. Like a, a restaurant or a movie theater, Saturday is the day when you want to be open late. Anyhow, I'm going to talk a little bit about the panels and the things that I went to. I took a lot of notes, and I'm not just going to read through the notes, but I'm going to read some of the interesting things that I jotted down Here's the thing, when you get to be my age and you've been writing for as long as I have. So this, this marks the 29th year of me writing seriously, of me saying, you know, I don't know if this acting thing's going to work, but this writing thing is sure working. Maybe that's what I'll be. It, you know, like 10 years later, I really focused and said, that's all I'm going to be as a writer. And then I moved to Los Angeles and didn't get any writing jobs, but did get some acting work. Okay, so 29 years. And in 29 years, you hear advice, you hear instruction, you hear tricks and cheats. Uh, apparently, they call those hacks now. Um, but that bothers me when somebody says hack, like, here's a little piece of advice. Or here's a handy shortcut. 
that upsets me because hack already means A, to strike with something sharp, or it means a no talent. Do you know what I mean? Hack already has meaning. Don't come up with your own fucking word that means, uh, you know, a life secret. Sorry. So anyhow, I did hear some of the same stuff that I often hear to the point where I was telling Big Ankovich, you know what I'd like to do is make a bingo card. And I'm going to write on the bingo card all the stuff that I expect to hear at this conference. And every single time I hear one, I will exit off. And Big said, yeah, and when you get five in a row, you can shout bingo in the middle of somebody's panel. And I told him, if you were going to it, and I had a couple other friends, and they were also doing this with bingo cards. Yes, but not me by myself. No, I am too respectful for that in person. So one of the things that I complain about every year when I talk about this with you or with Big is inevitably there is a author or, or more than one who will say, my book is great and your life is not complete until you read it. And those kind of people always rub me the wrong way because that's not what I respond to. I feel like humility is important and self-aggrandizement is dickish. And it's the sort of thing that bullies would do. What movie was that where it's just like, oh, I'm so buff. I would totally protect you. Uh, but I did hear one writer say, you know, at the end of a panel, what book would you recommend? And he said, my book is called so-and-so, and you should all read it. And I wrote it down, you should all read it, exclamation point. And then, you know, people laughed, everybody on the panel laughed, and he's like, ha just kidding. But you should buy it. Which is kind of a fun way of, like, saying kidding, not kidding. It saves face. It's, it's very clever. You know, it would be like me saying... Nobody is worse at math than I. I well, okay, there, there's got to be somebody worse than math than me. But let's say that I'm in a room with a hundred people. I will be the second worst at math in that room. And if I was in a room alone, I would be the third worst at math in that room. So anyhow, here's a couple of the things that I wrote down for the bingo card. Panelist's cell phone rings. Lord of the Rings reference, Star Wars reference, Harry Potter reference. Someone cries. Someone talks about how much their day job sucks. Someone criticizes Hollywood. Someone names drops Brandon Sanderson. Jane Austen reference. Simpsons reference. Poe or Lovecraft reference. Shakespeare reference. Someone says, kill your darling. Someone says, I'm a pantser. Conversely, someone says, I'm a plotter. Hunger Games reference. Spider-Man reference. Batman reference. Disney, oh my gosh. I, I laughed because after Disney princess reference was rape reference. And the reason I wrote it down was because I remember a panelist talking about, you know, I had a character get raped. And everybody was like all joking around and then she's like, well, I had a character get raped because I felt like that was the best way to make the audience sympathize with her. And we all just like, 
oh. And all of the laughter stopped. And yeah, she basically was just like, what? And if, and if you don't know, then, then, then no big deal, I guess. But yeah, there were rape references, both today and yesterday. Uh, Stephen King reference, Star Trek reference, Narnia reference. Somebody says, spoiler alert. That happened all three days. Anyway, sorry. There were 25 spaces. Basically, I just listed things until I came up with 25. But what I should have done was probably like listed 50 if other people were going to do this or if I were going to do it on more than one day. And you just randomly put them on there to see what you do. But you know what? Maybe that's rude. Maybe that is not as bad as shouting bingo, but having less... Cur well, doesn't matter. It, it doesn't. There were always interesting things said in every panel. Which isn't to say that every single panel that I went to was instructive. There was one panel where basically the lesson I got out of that was, there is no God, everybody. Uh, and then there was another panel where the moderator, or whatever you want to call it, the panelist, hadn't prepared anything except for a list of questions, and then just asked the questions and took answers from the audience. And I, that really upset me, because I didn't come there to hear the people in the audience say, this is what I do in my writing. I came here to hear somebody who is a professional say this is what I do and you know it might help you but like one of the things that she said was if you put your stuff out there eventually you're going to get negative reviews and you need to be prepared for that and not let that bother you so much it's like listen if it's a three-star review hopefully somebody will cite this and this is why they didn't give it a four-star review you know, if it's a two-star review, maybe this is something that you should work on. I, I wouldn't read the one-star reviews. Just skip them. And this dude raised his hand, and he was that guy that you and I went to school with, that everybody knows, the kind of guy that makes life difficult for the world. He said, I love to read my negative reviews. Like, I'll go on to Amazon, or I'll go on to Goodreads, and I will always go to like the one-star reviews and, and I'll just laugh at the things that they said. And he's like, in fact, there was this one where this guy wrote this super long criticism of my work of why he hated it and what was wrong with it. And I took that and I did a whole blog post about it where I retorted every single thing that he said. And that blog post got more hits than anything on my blog. I didn't need to hear from this guy. And you know, that's not to say that everybody's voice shouldn't count for something, but it's just, you know, that's not instructive. Basically, there's, you know, it's like the guy who's like, I broke my leg in a skiing accident. And, and the guy goes, walk it off. You know, I, I just, my life is more than halfway done. And I don't have room in my life for guys like that. I, or, or for going to a panel where a guy like that has a voice. You know what I mean? They should call that panel, be like me. But I would much rather go to a panel of like rookie mistakes I made in self-publishing. You know what I'm saying? You can see the difference. There was a lady, and, and this is something that I've told again and again on my podcast because it's horrifying, but I keep hearing it and I heard it yesterday. I didn't hear it today, but I heard it yesterday. A woman said, and maybe it's the same woman every, no, you know, I've heard a man say it too. But I heard a woman say, I write YA 
because there's no sex in YA and sex is so dirty and base. She used the word base, kids. I guess another word that has multiple meanings. But yeah, what are you going to do? Usually my buddy Jeff will go to this conference with me. Um, but he moved away to Germany two years ago now. Um, and it was two years ago, this conference, when he got the call, we were at lunch. And he got the call that, yes, his job was going to send him overseas. So, you know, I, I missed having him there. We used to have a tradition where we'd go to this sandwich place. Every time we went to this conference, we would walk because it's on the same block. It's not on the same street. And I went there today and it was so expensive. I used to get a sandwich and a drink and french fries because it was all really good food. And I only ever went there on this event. And today I couldn't afford anything but the sandwich. I didn't get a drink and I didn't get fries. It cost more for the sandwich than last year cost. Uh, as I was saying, my buddy Jeff used to always go with me. But Jeff's one of those people that complains when it's hot. He, I'm trying to think, if there's anything I love to complain about as much as, uh, 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 the, the Star, Star Wars, Wars prequels. prequels. Jeff feels about the heat the way that I feel about the Star Wars prequels. And he never tires of bringing it up. And I have to admit that yesterday, it was unseasonably warm outside. Got it to like 51 degrees. And it was hot in a couple of the panels. People were complaining. And I felt, ooh, wow, it's, it's uncomfortably hot. Jeff would have died. Let's see. All of the panels that I went to this year were instructional panels. Without a single exception, they were all panels of the how-to variety. And there were a couple of times when there were more than one that I wanted to go to uh, that were at the same time, and, and I had to choose. And so I always chose the panels that I wanted to go to, right? With one exception. There were two panels at the same time. One was about cover art, and one was about writing good grim dark. And I, I wasn't really going to go to the grim dark one, but it was a running joke between Marshall Latham and me, this whole grim dark thing. And so I texted him and said, Oh, geez, which should I go to? Cover art or grim dark? And he texted me back and he's like, Oh, yeah, oh, no, now's your opportunity to go to the grim dark. Make sure you take lots of notes. And look, I know he was joking, but. That was the deciding factor. For fun's sake, I decided to go to the Grimdark panel. And I guess I have to explain the running joke. First time I ever heard that term, Grimdark, was reading the submission guidelines on the Journey Into podcast. And I had asked him, okay, so you don't want Grimdark. What does that mean? And, he's, and I think he thought that I was joking. And I was like, no, no, I don't know what grim dark is. And he's just like, well, it's exactly what it sounds. It's a subgenre of fiction that is grim and dark. And so in the back of my mind, it was just like, well, I'm going to go to this panel and I'm going to get a better definition than that. And they talked about what was grim dark 
you know, as a subgenre? Is it horror? Is it fantasy? And I guess the answer is it's, you know, like really, really dark, miserable, nihilistic fantasy with horror elements. They said with a fantasy novel, with a YA novel, with a sci-fi novel, there's a pretty good chance that the, the good guys will triumph, that evil will, evil will be defeated, but not with grimdark. There's a hopelessness in the world. There's, there's not a sense of justice in the world. And, that, and all this stuff was fascinating to me. I was just like, but what is, where would I have seen an example of grim? I, you know, I was thinking of, and, and I wish that I had just raised my hand at the very beginning and said, I, I'm sorry, I don't, I, I came here by accident. What is grimdark? Because eventually, yeah, they, they defined it and eventually they gave a few examples they mentioned the movie Seven, the, the David Fincher movie. You know, the oppressive, miserable, good-does-not-succeed feel of that movie. They said that some of the Conan the Barbarian stories are grimdark. They said grimdark is not mainstream. It's, it's not ever going to sell like a fantasy does or like, you know, romance or whatever. I wrote down the quote from the guy on the panel and he said, Deadwood was grimdark. And it's the greatest TV show ever made. And I remember watching the first half of the first episode of Deadwood. And that's all. I don't think I even made it to the end credits. I, Grimdark is not for me, I found out. They said Joe Abercrombie is the you know patron saint of Grimdark. He is the author. And that name just is not familiar to me. So it's weird. They were talking about like, well, how do you... How do you write the main character in that genre? Does he have to be sympathetic? Does he have to be likable? And the consensus was, oh, well, let me read the quote. Either you have to make the character sympathetic or you have to make them interesting. And, you know, that's something that came up in other panels. I went to a making your protagonist likable panel and they say, said the same quote, except for they said, you know, either you have to make a likable protagonist, or you have to make an interesting protagonist. I thought that that was pretty neat that they brought that same stuff up. They talked a little bit about Game of Thrones and the feel of that, and I don't know that they ever felt like Game of Thrones was grimdark, but I think they were saying, you know, that it toes the line. There's definitely a sense of injustice in, in Westeros. Let's see, I, I'm just looking through my notes. Uh, gosh, maybe I should just go through the, the, the schedule of panels that I went to. And if there's anything interesting, you can bring it up and say, hey, okay, talk, uh, expand on this. So the very first panel I went to was called Kill Your Darlings. What makes a meaningful death? And the panel had been going for a few minutes when one of the panelists said, oh, hey, guys, can I interrupt for a moment? I think that the name of this panel is wrong. Because people are saying, kill your darlings, as though that refers to killing your characters. That's not what it means. Kill your darlings means be willing to cut out prose that you love, chapters that you love, writing that you have written that you feel is really good if it helps the book, deleting scenes and stuff. You have to be willing to kill your darlings. That's what that means. And it's just bothersome that people used it wrong for this panel. And 
The next day I went to another panel and somebody used Kill Your Darlings in that same way. You know, you, you need your audience to think that no character is safe, that you would kill your darlings. And he was in the audience and he interrupted and said, oh, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I spoke about this earlier today. Kill your darlings does not mean being willing to kill your characters. It means being willing to edit yourself and not being too precious about your prose. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, the second panel that I went to was called Killing... Killing. <laughs> that would have been very different. Creating realistic friendships. See, these are all things that will come up in any kind of writing, right? I mean, unless it's nonfiction... Even in a romance novel, I think creating realistic friendships is important. But especially, you know, you're doing YA or you're doing fantasy or something like that. They said, everybody in the panel, give a couple of examples of friendships that you love from literature or from film. And, well, you know, like somebody brought up Sherlock Holmes and Watson. Somebody brought up uh, Ron and Harry and Hermione and you know, Frodo and Sam, Baskin and Robbins, you know, these, these, these famous duos. And this guy, I think his name is Dan Wells. He said, I've got to put an asterisk on this, but Han Solo and Chewbacca, my whole life I've loved their relationship, their friendship. But the only time that I never felt like they were actually friends was last year when I saw how they became friends. And I thought that that was interesting enough that I jotted it down. I was like, huh. <laughs> there was a panel called What I Wish I'd Known When I Began Indie Publishing. <laughs> and the only note I have for this one, it's, it's so, I didn't get anything out of this panel because I didn't go to it. But the only note that I have jotted down here <laughs> is one of the people on the panel says, you know, I've self-published a book that, that's available now and it's called Pwned. And there was a female audience member about two rows behind me that went, ugh. They didn't do it loud, but they did it loud enough for everybody around to hear. And that, I laughed for a good 30 seconds about that. Um, because A, I totally get where she's coming from. What a crap title. But two, yeah, it's just just that, that word and the idea of writing a book called Pwned. I don't know. I'm laughing now. Well, I'm laughing on the inside. This smile is butt skin deep. Inside, I'm really crying. Won't you join me for a weep? I went to the Grimdark panel, as I told you about that. Geez, I do not know if sharing my notes with you will help or not. There was a panel uh, called Dynamic Story Creation, and it was all about this guy's process for writing and theme. And this was one of those instructors that is super opinionated. And he said before the course began, Look, I'm going to say some stuff that you probably aren't going to agree with. I'm going to say some stuff that might offend somebody, one or two of you in this room. Uh, but I'll probably say stuff that you've never heard before. And I'm going to say some stuff that for some of you is going to make a real difference in your writing. And, it, you know, I feel that way about some of the things that I love and some of the things that I hate in entertainment, in film especially, where I just feel like I know, you know, 
when somebody has no love for the source material or, you know, I know when it was a pretty mediocre book and they turned it into a, a, a good movie and that should never happen. This guy, he was not a pantser. He was completely, completely the opposite of the pantser. In fact, this guy was so much of a planner that he was talking about writing 20,000 word outlines for a novel. And I, I couldn't get my head around that. And eventually he revealed that he's one of those guys that hates to write, that he will do anything to postpone the time when he has to write. So, you know, he will write character bios for the characters that he's that are going to be in his book. He will do story arc diagrams where it shows, you know, the character arc or, you know, the, and the subplot. And he will examine the theme, the underlying message, the big idea in the overall book, and then break that down into the various chapters. And what is the theme of this chapter? And what are the minor themes? And he said that theme, as I said, like, the, you know, the big idea, the, the main point of the story is the feeling that the reader has when they leave the story. Theme helps writers write a tight, concise story. Theme fulfills a reader's unknown expectations. That's what the reader walks away with. And he used Finding Nemo, the film, as his example that he would go back to over and over and over again. And he talked about certain scenes in Finding Nemo and how this is the theme of Finding Nemo and this is the point of it. And tell me at what point in the movie Marlon finds Nemo. And, and I was trying to remember, it's just like, okay, uh, gosh, and there's a pelican and there's, oh, when does Marlon find Nemo? And the answer is he doesn't. Nemo finds him. This guy, as I said, he, he was very opinionated and, and that could turn people off. And in the past, that has turned me off when people say, this is how you have to do it because everybody is different. But this guy was so passionate about it and in describing scenes of Finding Nemo and describing the feelings that you had, the guy became emotional and I became emotional thinking, by God, I need to go watch Finding Nemo again. That movie is awesome. I thought that, that, that was really interesting. Um, he was saying that, oh gosh, I took so many notes on, you know, what happens in each act? When does the inciting incident happen? The, uh, his name was Maxwell Alexander Drake, this writer. And apparently he is used to going and doing seminars, you know, at writing conferences that last three or four hours. And he was trying to squish it all into a single hour and a half. And he, he said this, and I quote, there's only one aspect of being a writer that I hate, and that's writing. He was saying that he didn't write anything until he was totally ready. He figures out his theme and its structure before he actually writes anything. At one point, you know, he opened it up for questions, and I said, but what if during this process, when you're planning things and you're planning arcs and, you know, stuff, 
you get all excited. And he's like, oh, I want to sit down and write it right now. Or I've got some great dialogue. And he's like, you weren't listening to me. I hate writing. And that is hard for me to uh, get my head around. Because, you know, Big and I complain about writing. But I, I, I would not say that I hate writing. I hate audiobook editing. I hate cover art. Trying to do that. But I don't hate the writing part. I, I, I think that writing can be a joy most of the time. Okay, maybe not most of the time. Some of the time. There was, I'm going to say one more thing that, that he said. I, I took a lot of notes because this guy was interesting. He said, your theme gives you clues of ways to make your protagonist struggle, to learn, to fail, to grow. For a reader to care about your protagonist, they must grow. And, and one other thing that he said that I thought was very, very interesting was, if the character in your story gets what they want, it's a tragedy. But if they get what they need, it's a happy ending. And at first I was just like, well, that doesn't... Well, maybe it does. You know what I'm saying? Boy, I am starting to wonder if this is dull, but I don't, I don't know. I went to a panel called Elements of Horror for Everyday Use, and they were talking about, but it's not just writing horror, but putting horror elements in everything, whether it's YA, whether it's middle grade, whether it's romance. They said Jane Eyre has horror elements. In it, and that made me think that there was a, a film adaptation of Jane Eyre just a few years ago, let's say five, six years ago. And I, and I want to say Mia, unpronounceable last name, that was in the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland played Jane. And I never saw the movie, but I saw the trailer and it was playing before something. And in my mind, Jane Eyre is like a gothic romance, or, or maybe not gothic, it's a, it's a romance from the 19th century, one of the classics, like Wuthering Heights, or Dickens, or Austen. But the thing that was weird about the trailer for this new Jane Eyre is they played Goblin's music from Suspiria over the trailer. And it freaked the hell out of me because Goblin's music from that movie is terrifying. When Suspiria first came out on DVD, Anchor Bay put it out like a bare bones version and a special edition version and then an ultra limited fans only special edition that had an extra disc that was just the Goblin score. And of course that's what I got because... I had learned from Anchor Bay's earlier releases of like Halloween and Army of Darkness that these ultra limited special editions for diehard fans were the ones that went way, way up in, in value. And so I thought, if I don't like it, I can sell it for a profit. And I put in this score, this, this soundtrack for Suspiria, and I... I don't think I can do it justice. I would have to play you a little bit of it. But I remember it had a chorus of people whispering, saying things like, Which is supposed to be what's so bad. 
which is really scary. And then it had like tubular bells type synthesizer. I can't hear. Listen to 10 seconds of the Suspiria score. That's chilling stuff, right? Anyway, that was uh, that was played during the trailer for Jane Eyre. Yeah, I, I'm not embarrassed to tell you that my nuts went away during that trailer, and I I never saw the movie, but I just I looked around. I was like, is anybody else hearing this? Why would you do that? So that came back to me when they said Jane Eyre has horror elements in it. Maybe it was not for nothing. Yeah. I'd like to sit down and watch that new version with Marshall Latham and see what he thinks. I went to a panel about narration. Oh, well, it was called Narrator, the Invisible Character. And I saw that Mary Robinette Kowal was on the panel. And Mary Robinette Kowal is a sci-fi writer and a podcaster. I think she does writing excuses. But I most know her from being an audiobook narrator. And the best audiobook with a female narrator I ever heard, and maybe that's overqualifying, maybe it was the best audiobook performance I ever heard, was her narration for Seven Eves by that guy that I can't remember, Neil Stevenson. And she was awesome. It blew me away, her narration. Because as the title might suggest, it has seven female main characters in it. And she gave all of them a unique voice so that you knew that was them, even if it didn't say, you know, said Dr. So-and-so. And so I really wanted to listen to what Kowal had to say about narration. But it turned out it was about the narrator, not narration, the, you know, the, in screenwriting, we called it the mise-en-scene, which is a pretentious way of saying the stage directions. And I, I listened to it, but I really wished that it had been something about audio, about being a narrator. And I didn't see any panels on that subject this year. But I'm going to digress again and say that I ran into the lady that I had gone to school with who encouraged me to go to this conference three years ago or four years ago, whatever 2016 was. And she had invited me a few months back or had asked me, she had IM'd me and said, would you like to be on any panels at this conference? And I said, oh yeah, that would be really interesting. You know, it'd be fun to talk about audiobooks or something like that. And she said, well, you know, I'll, I'll let you know. And I never bugged her about it again. But I discovered that she was in charge of the theater and media arts committee that did the scheduling and all that stuff for this year. And when I ran into her the first day, I felt bad that I had probably deliberately misconstrued what she was saying when she said, would you like to be on a panel? I would like to do a panel about audio and about doing your own audiobooks, doing narration, because it was a panel 
in 2013, I want to say, that I went to at the New Media Expo in Las Vegas where I first thought, yeah, I should be doing that. I should be doing audiobooks. And I feel like, you know, even though I've only been doing it for five years, I would have some interesting things to say about it. And I want... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask her if she's doing it again next year to put me on a panel with Mary Robinette Kowal because I want to pick her brain about how she did what she did and maybe I have useful tidbits in my experience for an audience. Maybe I have a crush on Mary Robinette Kowal and that's what it is. But it's just what she did was at a level that I am incapable of doing and I really strive to give characters voices and personalities and accents and such. But she left me in the dust, and so that's my digression. But I just, yeah. Okay, so that is a New Year's goal for, for next year. So wait, I do have a Mary Robinette Kowal quote. She said, uh, you know, when you're handing your draft to readers, she said, anytime a reader tells you they are confused, they are correct. Anytime a reader tells you how to fix it, they are wrong. And yeah, I think that's probably the tongue-in-cheek, but it goes hand-in-hand hand with something that I heard today at a panel about revision and rewriting where they said that a good editor, a good reader, will not tell you this is what you need to do to fix this. They will help you discover on your own how to fix it. It's like, okay, there's a pacing problem here. And you think, well, I've got six pages of dialogue. I wonder if I cut it down to four pages. Let me try that. A good editor, a good agent, a good, a good first reader will help you get there on your own. Figure it out on your own. They were using examples. I'm sorry to skip ahead to the next day, but they were using examples of things that had happened in the past. And one of the writers said, I sent my editor or agent, whatever, whichever it is that this applies to, my first draft, and she said, this chapter, chapter six, you need to cut it. It doesn't work. You need to cut it. It, it doesn't help the narrative. Um, it's just, it bogs everything down. And so she, the author, read chapter six and looked through, and it's like, no, I, th I think there's some really important stuff in here if anything, I need to expand chapter six. And she actually ended up adding like 1,500 words to chapter six and submitted it again. And the editor said, oh, wow, it works great now. I don't know if that's interesting to you, but that is interesting to me. I would not have guessed that that could work. Another thing that they were saying was, Somebody had written a romance book and there was a scene with the main love interests and the person that they shared the book with was just like saying, I don't feel it. I don't feel the attraction. I don't feel the romantic tension in this scene. And the author didn't cut a word, but she went in and she started adding in modifiers. You know, like she said softly, his eyes searched the room anywhere but her face and she put it in there around the dialogue and sent it back 
And suddenly it was night and day. And the reader, the editor said, I don't know what you did to this scene, but oh, it works now. I've got two boners. <clears throat> Sorry. I went to a panel called What is Holding You Back? And it was the one about, you know, overcoming your personal fears, putting your work out there, being brave enough to risk failure. And I, I, I needed to hear somebody say, you have to give yourself permission to suck. Now, I feel like Big and I did a whole episode about that, of that gets my goat one time, because that is a profound, you have to give yourself permission to suck. It's okay if it's not good. It's okay if it doesn't work. That's the only way we can get better is by failing and learning from our mistakes. I'm not a fan of Disney's Frozen, I think I've told you. I, I don't like Elsa at all. But I saw the trailer for Frozen 2, and I think it's the teaser trailer, but it's mostly Elsa trying out this power. She's standing on the beach by the ocean, and she's trying to run across the water using her freezing power to freeze a path in the water through the waves so that she can walk on it. And the wave hits her and knocks her into the water, and she, you know, goes back on shore. She stands up and she does it again. She runs into the water using her power, freezing, and she gets on top. And then the waves hit her again, and she slips and she falls below the surface. And the tide takes her into the sand, and she gets up again and does it a third time using this power. And for the first time, since I, I saw the first Frozen, I liked Elsa. I rooted for Elsa. I felt, wow, this is something that we can, that I can relate to. This is something that I, any kid, and I'm going to say kid, but what I really mean is little girl, can look at this trailer and be inspired and say, yes, I can. I, I can see people standing up and saying that this was the girl version of Gonna Fly Now and Rocky, you know, of it just pumped me up. It's something that makes me want to work, even though it's hard, you know, to, to work just a little bit harder, to run a little bit faster. Inspiration. That is really cool. And if the movie is as good as that trailer, then it's going to be a really good movie. Now, of course, the first Frozen had one of the worst trailers I've ever seen, and so, you know, the bar was set really low. But I just, I needed to hear somebody say, I give you permission to suck. Because, you know, they've said your first novel is going to be bad. The first X thousand words that you write is crap. But you have to write it. You have to do it to get to what isn't crap. And I, I feel like I've written my share or maybe more than my share of crap. Now, if I wrote it in 2018, then I don't know how much progress I've made as a writer, but it's still, there's still, I still feel like I have a ways to go, but I feel like I have progressed beyond where I was at one point. A part of me wants to share with you, with the listeners, like a story from 1990, something like that, you know, so that we could talk, and we did do a story that I wrote in either 90 or 91 on That Gets My Goat. 
during one of our horror, our, our marathons. And I'm not going to say that I regretted it, but I was not pleased with the story and I was embarrassed. And I, to your credit, I never had somebody say, wow, Rish, you sure had permission to suck then. They didn't say that, which is nice. But I do need to become stronger. And I guess it's not the worst thing in the world to be like that guy that says, I read my one-star reviews for a laugh. Because, you know, he, he was a Ted McGinley-looking guy. And if you are young, you may not know who Ted McGinley is, but he was brought in to a television show when they wanted it to be canceled. No, Ted McGinley was a square-jawed, blonde, blue-eyed, handsome guy who would often play an asshole or a bully or the big man on campus. Oh, sorry. I would much rather be that guy than who I am. But because I can't be that guy, then I, I think it's only fair to dislike that guy. You know, not all was wine and roses at this con. I did get a headache, probably because I had so little sleep. But I went home the very first night with a headache, and I had told Big that I would call him, talk to him about how the day had gone, because he can't go to these, con these conferences. That's not fair. He could, but he doesn't live here anymore. So he would, have, he would have to seek out a conference that's similar where he lives. And I hope that if you live in a, I was going to say in a city, but even if you live in a little town, my guess is that there's going to be writing conferences where you are. Maybe not six minutes drive away like my conference, but in your city or near your city or in your state or province. And you might want to consider going to something like that. Because as I said, just being around creative people is encouraging, inspiring. And you might get a lot out of some of these panels. I went to a panel about pacing. There was a lady on a panel that wrote a book and she said, the best way I can describe it is that it's Twilight meets Percy Jackson. And I thought about that for about three seconds, shuddered, and then jotted something else out. Oh my goodness, I came up with a fourth story idea that I had jotted down here. Wow, cool. A horror story about a guy who, well, we'll talk about that if I ever write it. Looks like it takes place in Boise, Idaho. Not Boise, Boise. Sorry, shibboleth. So, because I feel like maybe I should have broken this into two episodes. Is that terrible? Am I a bastard for doing that? Okay, I'll tell you what. I'm going to quit right now and give you what I promised. But I'm going to come back next time and finish talking about this. And I'm going to give you a second fake Sean Connery song. Deal? Hey, I've been Rich Outfield. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you're a fan of my work, thank you for letting me know that or supporting me on Patreon. I got another incentive-only episode recorded. I haven't edited it yet, but I've done a lot of these to thank the Patreon supporters. And I'll, I'll give you a little sneak peek. Big Anklevich is on this one with me. If you want to support me on Patreon, you can do a dollar an episode. I think there's a possibility for a dollar a month. It's www.patreon.com 
forward slash Rish Outfield. I will talk to you soon, and I hope that you are inspired and encouraged in the things that you like to do, want to do, need to do. Good night. Now listen up, you, because I shan't be saying this again. Like it or not, the Rish Outcast is presented under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike License. While it hurts to say, that means you can't alter, sell, or claim ownership of the file. But you can download it, share it, and grind it to bits under your heavy boots free of charge. You still here? Well, get out there and get on with your day. You think the bad guys are going to stop themselves? You know, I'm going to have to say that 2019 is the first year where I'm much more interested in doing fake Arnold than fake Sean. I was, I was singing, and it was just a, a pleasure to do the way, you know, when he's trying to be sincere and passionate, but the language barrier makes things so much more difficult. You understand? I, I just, I don't know, there's something really delightful about that. We'll see if that continues. Are you a fan of this song, Fake Arnold? Yes. Turn around. Every now and then, I get a little bit lonely, and you're never coming round. Turn around. Every now and then, I get a little bit tired to listening to the sound of my Turn tears. around. Every now and then, I get a little bit nervous at the, that the best of all the years have gone Turn by. Around. Every now and then I get a little bit terrified And then I see the look in your eyes Every now and then I fall apart Every now and then I fall apart Every now and then I get a little bit restless And I dream of something wild Every now and then I get a little bit helpless And I'm lying like a child in your arms Every now and then I get a little bit angry And I know I've got to get out and cry Every now and then I get a little bit terrified But then I see the look in your eyes Every now and then I fall apart Every now and then I fall apart And I need you now tonight And I need you more than ever And if you only hold me tight We'll be holding on forever And we'll only be making it right Cause we'll never be wrong Together we can take it to the end of the line Your love is like a shadow on me all of the time I don't know what to do And I'm always in the dark We're living in a powder keg and giving off spark I really need you tonight And forever's gonna start tonight Forever's gonna start to Once upon a time I was falling in love But now, now I'm only falling, falling apart. apart 
There's nothing I can do with totally clips of the heart. And once upon a time there was light in my life, but now there's only love in the dark. Nothing I can say, a total eclipse of the heart. You know, I'm not a fan of Christina Aguilera's music, and I'm certainly not a fan of Mariah Carey's music. They're both good singers, but the thing that they do is that they start out their songs at a tent so that there's nowhere to go. Like, especially Mariah Carey, like the first line in a Mariah Carey song, she's like belting out with all of her might. And it's just like, no, hey guys, that's not the way that music works, you know? It's like, like it's, think of it as a roller coaster. You build and you build and you build, and then you go all out. There's nowhere to go. They peak too soon. And, and that's what I'm doing in this song. Every now and then I fall apart. And every now and then I fall apart And I need you now tonight And I need you more than ever And if you only hold me tight We'll be holding on forever And we'll only be making it right Cause we'll never be wrong Together we can take it to the end of the line your love is like a shadow on me all of the time. All of the time. I don't know what to do. I'm always in the dark. We're living in a powder can and giving off stars. I really need you tonight. Forever's gonna start tonight. Forever's gonna start tonight. Once upon a time, I was falling in love. But now, now I'm only falling apart. Nothing I can do, a total eclipse of the heart. Once upon a time there was light in my life, but now there's only love in the dark. Nothing I can say, a total eclipse of the heart. A total eclipse of the heart Turn around bright eyes Turn around bright eyes Turn around <laughs> Wow, that was really good. I should have done that on video. Holy moly. So the point I was trying to make with that was that they start out at a 10, right? And it's, and I, I, there was a Celine Dion song that did that too. And it didn't feel right. It, Cause it's one of those where, you know, she, this, my heart is broken and, and now I'm alone and she's just too big and too, at the end of the song, you, you give it all you've got. And I, look, I understand that as a musician, you've got to be able to control your voice and all that. I remember they used to say that Axl Rose in concert would burn out his voice by like the third song in a Guns N' Roses concert because he just gave it all that he had. And that's counterproductive, I guess. But this isn't a live performance. These are studio recordings. Anyhow, what I just did is 
I, so I gave Fake Sean the most I'd ever given him here at the end. And it's astounding how emotional I became with this performance. That's why I was saying you should have, we should have done it on video because, you know, it's a joke. I'm not really Sean Connery and I'm, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just that good of a song. Jim Steinman, thank you. Okay, I have to do all of this over again. I just realized when I pushed stop that my microphone wasn't on. You know, people who don't study the past are doomed to uh, be a dumbass. You know, there were a lot of things that I had written in my notes that I wanted to share. And, and some of the things I didn't once I realized with horror that the recording had gone on so long. But, but I might as well get a couple more things said. Why? Well, because I'm generous. That's why. I, I was watching a panel and there was a lady and she says, you know, my first book is about to come out and uh, it's basically Percy Jackson meets Twilight. And <laughs> it's remarkable that I got that out without laughing. Um, I mean, it just... It, that's, we, my friends and I used to make fun of that, you know, the pitch of this meets this. We would try and come up with like the most inappropriate pairing or, you know, combining two movies of what would be the worst. You know, so my screenplay is this terrible thing meets this other terrible thing or these, this truly awful thing meets this truly wonderful thing. Maybe everybody does that. I, I considered posting on Facebook, you know, give me your absolute worst. This means this. And... I don't know. We'll make a fake poster of it. Uh, we'll sit down and actually write it. No. Ooh, I farted. It's like Big Anklevich never went away.